0: This is Reimagining Higher Education, your go-to podcast with remarkable education leaders sharing personal stories from their experience in and around the sector, including reflection and hope for progress in the sector. This week with your host, Professor Cliff Allen, former Vice-Chancellor at Birmingham City University and now Studiosity Academic Advisory Board member. Welcome.
1: Well, welcome to all listeners to this edition of the uh, Reimagining Education podcast series. Uh, And today we'll be exploring aspects of the university student experience, where we hear from students themselves. So I'm absolutely delighted to welcome two students currently studying in UK universities. First, we have Lisa, who is a second year student currently studying health and social care. And Tuala, who is studying international business Studies and uh, Human Resources, and she is studying at master's level. So it's great to have you both joining me today, Uh, welcome. Uh, And it'll be really interesting to hear what you have to say about university life in the way that you currently experience it. And we're now gonna complement that with the perspectives of two senior university leaders who have responsibility for learning and teaching and, and students. So very much welcome to Professor Helen Scott, who is uh, Pro-Vice-Chancellor of Learning and Teaching and Student Success at uh, Sheffield Hallam University, and to Professor Stephanie Marshall, who is Vice-Principal Education at Queen Mary University London. Well, it's great to have you both with us today, uh, bringing your extensive experience and knowledge of focusing on the student experience in a number of universities and also at a, at a national level as well. What I'd like to do, first of all, is uh, to kick off uh, kind of reflecting on a wider context of 10 or more years of a growing focus around the student experience driven by national policies. We've seen greater focus at university strategic priority level and in terms of practice as well around the student experience so it'd be really helpful to know what sort of Reflections you have on what the big changes from uh, have been from this growing focus on the student experience maybe starting with you Stephanie
0: yeah yeah really happy to start uh, because I find it such I have to say I think this is such an interesting question because you could say it is a natural next step in the evolution I think of massification um quality assurance quality enhancement, and now into the value for money and, and greater accountability, which is now segued, I think, into this, this greater sense of the student experience actually is taking a more holistic approach to e- the education of our students. So in terms of then what government policy has really helped us focus down on what we need to be doing, I think for a start, the whole massification debate, and of course, then moving on to looking at policy around removal of the student number cap, uh, looking also now at the access and participation plans, uh, looking at the fact that we can't can't charge top fees if we don't have that uh, that plan signed off, I think it's led to a much greater focus on looking at what is the lived experience of our students on campus, not just in terms of the basic education they're getting but in terms of the co-curriculum what the day-to-day lives look like in terms of learning spaces library access so i think the the biggest changes that have followed from that i think is a much greater listening to the student voice what it means for them because then if we look at some of the national accountability metrics we've got to have listened to them to be able to demonstrate that we are listening to them and that we have got that value for money in place.
1: Helen?
2: Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with all of those things. I, I think for me, the, the value for money thing has really come to the fore more and more. And value for money, not just for students, but how we are going to provide value for money when, as Stephanie says, um, you know, the resources that we've got to, to play with uh, uh, seem to be shrinking the day and and the cost of is going up at the same time for 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 us our staff and our students i think that's really important so i think there's been a massive sort of focus on the cost benefits for, for students and particularly um for those from from families that you know where, where that um students might have been the first person that in their family to go to university um so i think you know given all of that Apart from the the focus upon the the, the cost benefit analysis for, for an individual or an institutional level, um, I think sort of focusing on building student social capital. Given that we, you know we have got a much sort of greater range of students coming to university now, I think it's interesting that the 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 introduction of fees you know over the last decade or so hasn't really it doesn't seem to have prevented people from coming to university but I think it has really changed the nature of university. And something I think about quite a lot is how I'm so old now that my university experience and, and, you know, lots of uh, uh, that of lots of the people that teach our students is so different to what our students experience that you almost can't assume anything. So when you make decisions about where you're gonna put resources and things, you just have to kind of forget your own experience because it's so different. The lived experience to use Stephanie's uh, phrase is, is so different. Um, to, to what it was when I went to university you know what what are the students what is their lived experience what are they having to deal with every day Lisa
3: well on a personal level um you know I'm very happy with my experience but I can see um there's a lot of um Um, students that are Eastern European in my group and there is a language barrier even though their English is very good there are certain phrases that they don't understand so I think you know they could be better supported in um, you know because English is their second language.
4: Antwala what, what do you have any comment on that? Coming from Nigeria I mean we tried to use the British system of education so it was easy to understand some of the um Um, languages spoken, but we had also a multicultural class where a lot of um, course mates did not understand what was being said. Mm -hmm. And that is a barrier. I mean, language is one thing that's meant to connect everyone. And if um, there's a barrier in that area, then I mean, it's actually the whole approach is lost. So I think one key thing is working on more integrating more language courses. I mean, English language courses to help everyone have a smooth sail of what is expected.
1: Both of your institutions, of course, have very diverse student populations with very different backgrounds, a wide range of different Mm -hmm. backgrounds and therefore very wide range of differing expectations and needs.
2: Yeah, I think we're having to make so many difficult choices um, about where we put our energies and our resources because we can't uh, do everything for every every single student so I think if we think about the the cost of living work that we've done we've, we've really tried to you know find out from the students again not make assumptions but really try to work with them to what would make a difference you know so if we if we have special offers in the cafe is that something that mm. you're going to be able to take you know have the benefit of because if you're you know if you're not kind of being on campus all day every day well then is that going to make a real difference to you or can we give you help with travel if you're a commuter student so I think it's a real balance it's a very difficult balance I'm not sure we've got it entirely right yet and it kind of changes all the time and um, so really trying to be quite sort of um thoughtful and reflective and evaluative in a very systematic way of, of what has made a difference so you know for example we've done a sort of thing called community leaders where we're trying to think about how can we help our students with their income by giving them you know we already employ loads of students to do things what what more can we do that will have some other benefits to echo what Helen said, absolutely agree. And I think,
0: you know, the cost of living crisis now, um, and we keep upping the hardship fund and pointing students in the direction of the hardship fund. But what strikes me is students don't know how to navigate their way sufficiently well around the web, no matter how much we put it to the forefront mm. and to appreciate, actually it's there for them. You know, that they're, they're, we're trying to make sure there aren't barriers to accessing funds such as the hardship fund. Um, I think because the unit of resource has gone down so tremendously, this echoes really what you were saying as well, Helen, in terms of the evaluation frameworks. And I think the, one of the things that has been really useful about the access and participation plans is having to set up the overall evaluation and impact framework, which I think should sit across everything. Yeah. I mean, it's still, you know, I still think APP should be part of the TEF. Um, and I won't drive that <laughs> or argue that here, but I think the whole evaluation of what's working, what is the impact? Because we've got to think about where are we getting the biggest bang for our buck? Yeah. Mm. Because, you know, we've got big financial constraints. That's not going to change any any time in and in, 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 I think my career. Um, and therefore, what what are students saying? And what is demonstrable in terms of where we are making a real difference? But I,
1: yes, I I I agree with that. But in but kind of making a real difference often is, you know, uh, it's quite challenging when you have very different student needs or different mm. types of needs mm. with the range of student populations. In both of your cases, uh, you're you're bringing sort of in some ways distinctive needs into into the university experience. Lisa coming in as a mature student, Tuala coming in as well having worked and coming in as an international student. Do you feel that your your experiences were that you know the 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 diversity of your needs were being recognized? Mm,
4: okay, to be quite frank, I would say maybe I downplayed what I was expecting before coming here as an international student. Yeah, you have an idea but you really don't know there's there's theory and then there's practical. So trying to match the um, gap between the theory and practical was where the issue was. And I mean, there was a lot of hassle at that point, trying to settle in, trying to get the hang of things. Another thing is um, I got into um, my studies like maybe four weeks into the time. So I think that also, not because I wanted to, but... Somehow, as an international student, you have to look at visa challenges and all those. I came with um, a dependent, my husband, and you know, fine, we had we have a one-year-old at the time. So it was um kind of him trying to help me balance the whole process and understanding what was required. And I mean, at that time I was still nursing my baby. So trying to wake up at night, do my assignments, nurse my baby. I mean. It was very hectic and sometimes there were days that maybe i would forget that i'd eaten so all that but after some time i had to make some quick decisions because of the health my health and i mean how it applied to my academics as well so after some time after making those decisions it kind of helped me structure the life better Uh, there was a bit of um challenge when it concerns um getting one-on-one sessions with um, tutors sometimes because uh, i would say there's no perfect system and i know that um uh, tutors are really busy with a lot Mm -hmm. of workload and i mean so it was sometimes challenging to get a one-on-one time with your tutor and get them to understand what your needs were but in terms of the social aspects the welfare student services I mean, responses were always quick and um, swift, but sometimes it, it differed in the area of meeting tutors. Teachers, sometimes because of workload, responses could be very slow, and most times it leaves students panicking because you, you want to get an answer to, for your needs, and because you are not getting immediate feedback, it creates a kind of um, gap. Lisa, what about yourself? I mean, do you think there's a kind of good recognition
1: of the balance required for, you know, coping with a wide range of uh, different student needs? Um, well, for me. Um studying full-time I
3: also work part-time as well but I've got support at home I've got my partner here um, but I've also got um, a 30 year old son who lives with us who's got um, autism yeah but I mean you know I, I manage to balance it sometimes I feel like I'm sort of spinning lots of plates at one time but it does work you know you can always see your academic tutor face to face if you've got issues surrounding things like mental health there's somebody that you can go to so you know i think anything really um if you find the right person who you need to contact they will give you help on, you know, the smallest things. I mean, I remember when I first started, I walked into that building and I thought, oh my God, this is huge. I'm gonna get lost in this building, trying to find, you know, different classrooms. But there was even, you know, sort of um, students that were already there would just go and say, oh, where's room, whatever. And they would direct you there. So yeah, I mean, definitely the support is there on, on everything really from academic to health,
1: social issues. I think it's an interesting challenge that, you know, we often in universities have to consider the, you know, what what students come with in terms of their lives and, and study is just one part of it and the demands that that places on that part. But it But it seems that from both of your experiences that generally you feel well supported in terms of your studies, the broader aspects of your student life.
2: I do think if we have too many things, this might be a little bit controversial, (laughs) I've talked to my my colleagues about quite a bit, and this is really difficult on a big course, but actually, although we're a massive university, we don't have that many courses that have got thousands of students on. Most of our courses, apart from your nursing and your engineering and all that, a lot of our courses are quite small, we've just got lots of courses, Um, and I think if you have too many systems and tools and things like that, you kind of lose the, you know, you, you kind of go away from relying on the fact of a lecturer being in a room with some other human beings and noticing what's happening to them. So I don't think you can, you know, you can't find a replacement for that in terms of personalization. If, if you're in a room with, others, with students, you know, it's your responsibility to kind of notice what's happening to them, you know, and ask them about themselves and show interest. And I have discussed this with my colleagues recently. Some of them have looked at me as if to say, what are you talking about? Um, oh, it's very difficult. I only see them, you know, I only teach them for four weeks and they're gone. Yeah, but you still see them for four weeks. So you are, you know, as a human being to another human being, you have a responsibility to notice what's happening to them.
0: I'd agree with what Helen said in terms of the belonging comes from actually feeling a personal connection. Hmm. So how do you get that personal connection? And I think coming out of the pandemic, it was interesting them working with students as to what, what did you like about that experience? Hmm. Um, and actually what ours liked was they did like the pre-recorded lectures that were more stimulating, had more um, hyperlinks to, to various international speakers as well. But they said what they really missed about having um, the lectures online was walking to and fro with friends talking about the lectures. The more we bifurcate in terms of academics, you don't need to worry because we've got this wonderful PS support network now uh, that's across the whole of the university. So you don't need to worry about trifling things like talking to the students about particular issues they might have. No, I I never think bifurcation works, I have to say. So we've got to operate as teams. And I do think the pandemic stopped, was moving us nicely in that direction of, of teams working together to be able to deliver well. We mustn't revert back to it just being the siloed approaches to what education is all about. It makes such a difference to them as somebody takes an interest in them. Yeah, because it, it humanises the whole process.
1: Is that, and so, Helen, you... Uh... You've done quite a bit as well at Sheffield Hallam on this integration of services, support services with sort of academic skills as well. I mean, you don't yeah. necessarily see them as separate, they're one of the same thing. I think,
2: in my experience, students will, you know, as we started by saying that they have expectations about certain things being available to them. And obviously, when they come to university, there'll be things they're used to having in their previous life and things that they've never heard of before. And I think some of them are really, you know, they get really good at kind of, um, you know taking all the opportunities that everything of everything's offered which is fantastic you know it's really that that makes me feel really happy if I find out that you know the the rate of book like you know loans from the library's gone through the roof I think wow in the end they'll go to people who they know will help them you know so they might have a personal tutor or this tutor or that tutor or you know they will they will find the ones the the people that they find really helpful and then they'll go back to them and go back to them go back to them so I'm not you know, I, I, I'd i love to, you know, love it if every single student went to all the different things that we offer. But actually, if they get what they need, I don't really mind where they go. Um, It's the ones that I think don't engage with the things that we offer that I I worry about. And, there's you know, we've got really good data on particular groups, for example, white working class young men don't particularly use the library much. They don't, they borrow less, they they don't avail themselves of the services. They don't go to the boot camps. Yeah, you know, all these things that get amazing student feedback. They're not going to them, and that you know that really keeps me awake at night.
0: Back to the sense of belonging, and, and you kind of touched on this as well, Helen, in terms of that peer to peer support. How do we encourage the peer the mm-hmm. peer learning as well? And I think there's a lot more on that. There's a lot of research suggesting students do really like peer learning. We've done something internally as well on that, and our students say that that actually their favourite learning is peer learning. And I think probably because then they've got They've got all the students decoding it for them in the first mm-hmm. instance, which yeah. I think is is really interesting.
1: I think it kind of underpins the, the value we have in the, the, our student bodies in terms of what the students themselves can do to help other students
3: think a lot of the younger ones are less confident in seeking support and I'm a student rep for my year group and they come to me with like academic questions and I say to them well I can't really answer those for you you know but I'll direct you in the sort of area that you need to go and a lot of the times you know if we're in a lecture they won't speak out or put their hand up and then Um, I'm quite vocal and I'll put my hand up and ask a question and then afterwards they'll say to me things like "Oh, I'm so glad you asked that because you know I was lost on that as well so yeah I think maybe it's to do with their age I don't know but a lot of them won't speak out.
1: Yeah so it is so would you say it's not necessarily a problem of the lack of service it's more about having the confidence to to access it and use it.
4: Definitely definitely. And what do you have any comment on that? Um, I would say my experience is sort of um, similar to Lisa's because I was also the student rep. However, I had occasions because um, a lot of students in my year group have language barriers. So it was it's kind of difficult for them to understand what's being said. So when questions are asked, um, most times I'm quite vocal. So yes, I ask questions and they come to me. But the, what I try to do is I kind of, them through because a lot of them feel because of the language barrier they cannot interface with even the academic team so it's a bit difficult so they want someone that can explain it to them in their own words and break it down to very similar simpler ways for them to understand um, as an international student trying um i mean you don't know the process all on your own and there may be someone that is more knowledgeable than you are so trying to be part of a bigger community helps you to integrate better and get a fast grasp of thing and things. I know that when I got into school, um, uh, everyone tried to do things on their own because we didn't know ourselves. But eventually when we got to know each other, uh, it became easier to, I mean, kind of collaborate and put forth ideas and get a better grasp But when you're doing it alone, it really doesn't help. I mean, sometimes you may need one idea from someone can just pack something in you and then you know that, oh, this is the the route I'm meant to take. But most times when you're doing something on your own, you can't share your thoughts with somebody else and then they are your thoughts. So you don't know whether you're actually saying them right or you're actually going the wrong way. So it's always better to collaborate and be in a larger community.
1: I think what both of you have just done is to uh, illustrate the the importance of student reps uh, and course reps uh, because you're both obviously fulfilling the role incredibly successfully in in representing the voice and the views of students in actually translating their concerns, their issues, because you obviously both have the confidence to do that. And so you can speak on their behalf. Both of you have kind of touched on the importance of listening to students, uh, what we now call student engagement, uh, this kind of wider concept of students as partners. And and is is this a reality or is it still a bit of rhetoric in terms of what goes on? I mean, how are you, both engaging with your student bodies and actually responding to what they want.
0: I guess I've been enrolled five years and when I came, um, part, part of my pitch for the role was that I wanted to look at student co-creation because I felt that was a way to get students really, really engaged. So I think we've moved that forward a lot in terms of we've got students who help us on, say, um, the inclusive curriculum project that's rolled out across Different subject areas, but we train the students up so that they get they get one below an AFHEA, we always call it, um, so that they've got some basic training. But they've got to work out what will really engage the full set of students. We've done the same with graduate attributes. We've had a number of, as I say, the internships. We try to involve students as much as we can in in des- in the design. Um, uh, certainly when we went to online modules we had a lot of students helping helping staff uh, because staff weren't quite sure how how to go about putting things online and once again been amazingly impressed by students suggestions about what we could do differently and particularly in the online assessment space Mm
4: -hmm. you know they'll
0: come up with ideas that are far more sophisticated than the academics would in terms of you really want to discuss test these learning outcomes this is what I suggest you do. I think student engagement is really important because it encourages the deep learning it encourages um I think a it raises the worth of their academic endeavor so it isn't just a utilitarian act going to university to get a degree it's much more about um the whole person developing and, and then the, the whole social capital piece and and feeling that more confident going out into the world once they graduate.
1: And are they are they genuinely responsive to the concept of co-creating and kind of helping to design services or responses to service or even academic programs? I mean, how how deeply involved do they become in this concept of co-creation?
0: Um at, at Queen Mary, deeply involved, because when I I mean, say for example, our commuter student project, which was in my first year, because I thought have we really met the needs of community students? So we, we kept, they came up with a set of recommendations. They gave a presentation to the senior executive, pitched for what they felt was needed, a lot more social space, a budget was found. One of them, them co-chaired with me. So we've got a lot of co-chairing of um, a student rep and myself or another senior member of the university to be able to drive certain projects forward. On the academic side, um, I think all, I would hope all universities now have student support liaison committees that were co-chair with student items coming up first. But you know, it's it's how how we really involve them, not just to comment on, but to create.
1: Helen.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think <clears throat> student engagement for me is, is probably what I have said already. It is about, you know, having the capability and ability and, and you know, time to To make the most of every opportunity that, that's being offered. Because I think, you know, universities do offer amazing things for, for students these days, but not all students can take them. So just by or just offering them isn't enough. You know, you, we've got to work really, really hard to, to help students to, to be able to take the opportunities and to understand and everything. So I think we've done a lot of work on that. I think the co-creation thing is really interesting. I don't think we've quite cracked that here. I think we do a lot of work on student voice. We do lots of work together. We do lots of evaluation together. Um we have many, many, many routes for students to give their opinions and for us to work together on things. But I don't think we've quite got the student input into the course
1: design where I'd like it to be. Do you feel that uh, your universities have been quite effective in engaging with the student body? And when I say engaging, you know, not just, you know, broadcasting to them, but actually involving them in decision-making, involving students in some of the things they might choose to do in the future? Lisa?
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, at the end of um, every term, we have to fill in a bus survey, which we give our feedback on, you know, what went well on the the unit, what didn't, how the unit could be improved. Um, As student rep, I go to meetings and I can voice concerns, you know, from my fellow students. To Allah, your experience.
4: Um, I think I would say that uh, most higher education um, experiences are similar um, because I would like to share uh, Lisa's experience a bit. We had that too, where we get to lend our voices to things or happenings around the university. And I mean, There was a time whereby we had a very big issue about launch being delayed because of lack of the amenities and putting that forward during meetings kind of helped because immediately the issue was attended to. So yes, I think the university gives us a voice to actually channel our, our opinions and give them feedback on what should be better and what they are not doing adequately. Now, look, we're kind of been fairly limited
1: for time. And so as a, as a final question, a bit of a challenge, really, and that is to, to ask you a little bit about sort of looking into the future. Uh, if, if you could, you know, just think of one thing that you think would be a, a key and quite a big challenge facing student experience over the next three to five years. It can be at your institution or it can be nationally or internationally.
0: Certainly AI. And mm. now, you know, the whole... That whole piece, that paradigm shift, that's got to come about now that we are confronted with um, Chat GPT, for example, um, Chat GPT four, and and various other um, AI platforms like that. And the thing that I think is exciting about it is, although it comes with massive challenges, is We've really got to rethink our learning paradigm, where formative assessment sits in there, how we facilitate students knowing how to embrace AI so they're well equipped going into whatever the future holds.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good one. I think the kind of related one to that would be for me, our staff. Um, because and you know, how do we how do we attract and keep and develop and support and challenge all those all those things for our staff mm. to keep up with mm. the likes of ai and and any other things that we don't we, our, our imaginations haven't we don't know yet what's what else is going to happen there'll be loads of things so i think um i i think there's lots of things that are possible that we can do but without the sort of investment in our staff and support for mm. our staff and bringing them along with us i think that that's a massive challenge for me yeah Um, yeah, to to enable us to do all the exciting things we want to do for students yeah Lisa for
3: me I would say more modern facilities because parts of the building are quite old and you know don't look very um very nice shall we say and other parts are modern so I would say to you know to have modern facilities across the board really which is not a huge thing but you know it's just a nicer place to study if you're in a nice room with good um, good facilities
4: for me will be in the area of academics when it concerns assessment i mean the assessment process is already tedious on its own and sometimes when it concerns feedback okay for example let me cite um some cases where you have students who believe that they have put in all their best in trying to give the best work that they can and when they get feedbacks, they are kind of vague. So they really can't get enough adequate pointers to know, oh, okay, what should I do better? Or what, where should I go from here? Or how do I apply this in my next um, assessment? So sometimes the feedbacks can be so vague. And because you maybe, for those that are really concerned with learning, most times it's kind of a discouraging thing because you come to, maybe after seeing your assessment, you come to lectures and you're like, oh, I don't even want to listen because I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. They are not giving me adequate feedback. So why should I be interested in this also? Because if I do anything, nobody's giving me answers that I need. So I think the one thing for me will be in the area of giving adequate feedback during assessments. Terrific. Well, you've both just highlighted
1: two interesting and often critical challenges in facing university leaders. One is to keep investing in the capital infrastructure, making sure students have fabulous environments, buildings, equipment, facilities to study in, and also the kind of perennial issue of assessment, making sure it's relevant, it's authentic, and providing the feedback to students, so you can actually, you know, ensure your your learning continues, and you are a, effective learners. You know, you need appropriate feedback to do that. Look, it's been marvelous. I knew when I invited you to to, to take part in this that there'd be, um, you know, a rich blend of information, knowledge, and experience brought to it. Thank you so much for your perspectives and your views, and uh, it's been marvelous having you on this podcast.
0: Thank, Thank you, Cliff. You you. You have been listening to Studiosity's podcast, Reimagining Higher Education, candid conversations within higher education, sharing stories of leadership, change and best practice in teaching and learning. Visit studiosity.com. A note that this interview recording is not representative of the entire student and staff experience.